0: They ask you about the new moons. Who asks who? The people, the sahaba, the companions, they asked the Prophet. This word yes is from Sual, Seen Hamzalam, and as you know that Sual is to question, to ask, and a question is asked for many reasons. A person could ask a question to figure out how knowledgeable the other is. Likewise, a person could ask a question because he genuinely wants to know. He wants to increase in his knowledge. He wants to increase in his understanding. So a person could be sincere in his question and another could be insincere in his question. And this word alunaka, We will read this many times in the Qur'an And it refers to the sahaba The companions Asking the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. And this shows how eager the companions were To learn To develop understanding in religion Because they wanted to make sure That whatever they were doing They were doing it right and they understood the matters of religion to the best of their ability. So this is the reason why they asked the Prophet many questions. So yes, alunaka they ask you Anil Ahilla about the new moons. Al is the plural of Hilal. And what is the Hilal? The crescent, the new moon. From the root letters Ha Lam Lam. All of you must be familiar with how the moon works that initially it's a crescent, very fine, very thin, and as the days go by, as the month increases, then what happens? The size of the moon also increases. Until the middle of the month, when the three white days come, then what happens? Then the moon is full. And then after that, again, it begins to, it begins to shrink until it completely goes away. So the people, the Sahaba, they ask you about the new moons and what does the word hilal literally mean hilal is from istihlal and istihlal is raf'u sawt to raise one's voice and from the same root is istihlal mawlud that when the child who is born raises his voice meaning if a child cries when he is born then what does that mean that he is alive right and if a child does not cry it does not make any sound then what does it mean that it's a stillbirth the child is dead so, al Maulud. And the moon is called Hilal. Why? The crescent especially is called Hilal. Why? Because when the crescent is seen, then the people raise their voices. Meaning they make the announcement that this is the beginning of the new month. So for example, the month of Ramadan, when it begins, then there is an announcement that is made. And people start calling one another. Right Ramadan Mubarak or Eid Mubarak people immediately begin to call each other So this is the reason why hilal is called hilal And from a hadith which is reported in Musnad Ahmad we learn that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said Atani Jibril fa amaranani an amuru ashabi an aswatahum bil that Jibreel came to me and he told me that I should tell my companions that they should raise their voices when they see the hilal, when they see the crescent. Meaning, they should make the announcement and especially if it's the months of hajj and they intend to go for hajj, then they should pronounce the talbiyah, Right? They should say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Right? So, Aluna عَنِ Ahilla. They ask you about the crescents, about the new moons. What was the question that they asked the Prophet وسلم? What about the new moons did they ask? That what is the deal with the moon? Like, what is its significance? Why is it that we have to cite it? Why is it that we have to look for the birth of the moon? Why is it so important in our religion? And it could also be that they were wondering as to Why the moon increases in its size and then it reduces in its size? Why does it work like that? What's the hikmah? What's the wisdom behind it? How come Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the moon in this way? If you look at the sun, it's always full, right? But if you look at the moon, constantly, every single month, what happens? Every single day, its size changes. Right? In the Qur'an also, in Surah Yasin 39, we learn that, وَالْقَمَرَ قَدَّرْنَاهُ مَنَازِلَ حَتَّىٰ عَادَكَ الْعُرْجُونِ الْقَدِيمِ And the moon, we have determined for it phases. The moon has phases until it returns appearing like the old date stock. Meaning very thin, very fine. So the people were wondering that why is the moon like this? How come? And If you think about it, the Arabs, they lived in the open desert. And many times when they would travel, they would travel at night. Why? Because it was much cooler. So they would travel by night. Likewise, they would have their social gatherings also in the nights. Why? Because during the day, too hot. So in the night they would go out, party, eat, drink, whatever. They would have fun. And even today, you find this in the Arabs, that they will go out, in the night time why? because the weather is such that during the day it's scorching hot it's extremely hot so it's not possible to go out so anyway they would go out at night especially and they would notice the moon they would notice the moon we live indoors we spend our time indoors a little too much and the only time we're concerned about the moon is when? when Ramadan comes and when Ramadan goes that's it otherwise we don't care about the moon generally so, the sahaba, they were curious. They looked at, they reflected on the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they wondered, what is the hikmah behind this? Why has Allah made the moon like this? So, alunaka عَنِ الْأَهِلَّةِ And there is another reason why they asked. There were some superstitious beliefs amongst the Arabs concerning the moon. Concerning the growth of the moon, concerning the full moon, or concerning the crescent. And it's not just that within the Arabs, there were superstitious beliefs concerning the moon. But even today, oh yeah, people have superstitious beliefs, not just in one society, but all over the world. Just Google this, superstitious beliefs about the moon, and you will find many articles on that. It's amazing. One of them is that people, what they would do is that if they wanted their money to grow, they wanted their money to increase, So when the new moon would rise, meaning the crescent, they would take a coin and they would put it in the direction of the moon in hopes that as the moon grows over the course of the month, their money will also grow over the course of the month. So people have weird kind of superstitious beliefs concerning the moon. So the Sahaba, they were simple, straightforward people. They wanted to make sure whatever they believed, whatever they did was right. So they went to the Prophet ﷺ and they asked, that what is the deal with the moon? What is the hikmah behind that? So yes, alunaka arnil ahilla. Allah subhanahu wa taala, He said, "Qul say to them," meaning tell the people that here it is, meaning the ahilla, the new moons, and here is the feminine of huwa. Why is the feminine being used? Because ahilla is plural, okay? And for some plurals in the Arabic language, feminine pronouns are used. So, tell them that the new moons, they are mawaqeetu linnas. They are a means of telling time. For who? Linnas, for all people. And the word mawaqeet is the plural of miqat. Miqat. And miqat is from the root letters well, قفتة. And miqat is a tool, okay, a means through which you determine waqt. Through which you determine time. Okay, Miftah, from the same root, is a tool through which you do Fataha, meaning through which you open something. So what is a Miftah? Does anyone know? A key, exactly. So Miftah, Miqat. What is Miqat? A tool, a means through which you determine Waqt, what time it is. So the crescent the moons, the different phases of the moon, the different stages of the moon, they are a means of telling time for who? For the people. And an-nas, for all people. And more specifically, people are able to find out when it is time for wal-hajj. That when they are supposed to go for hajj. Meaning the season of hajj, the time for hajj, is also determined by the different phases of the moon. Now, If you think about it, through the sun also, can we determine time? Can we? Of course. The hourly clock, right, every single day, that is determined by what? By the sun. And if you think about it, the solar calendar is also there. Correct? And that is the one that is followed all across the world. These months that we have, January, February, right? All of this is what? According to the solar calendar. But if you think about it, in our religion we have been taught that we should use the sun as a means of telling time when? When? Throughout one day. Okay? So this is the reason why when the sun rises, when it is up in the sky, when it's about to decline, when it has declined, when it's completely gone, there's no sign of it, then different times we have to pray different salawat, different prayers. So the sun works like the everyday means of telling time. So you can say it works like the clock in our religion. But when it comes to the moon, the moon we use it as what? As the yearly calendar. So قُلْ هِيَ مَوَاقِيْتُ wal وَالْحَجِ It is used as a yearly calendar, as a means of telling time throughout the year. Which month it is, which day of the month it is. Not which hour, hours are determined by what? By the sun. But days, months, years, they are determined by the moon. Now a person may wonder, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to follow the moon? I mean, wouldn't it be simple if we just followed the sun simply? The solar calendar? I mean, there would be no issues. Was the moon sighted or not? Right? There would be no disputes, there would be no differences. Then why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to look at the moon? Why? Because if you compare the calendar, okay, the solar calendar with the lunar calendar, which one is easier for people? For any person, any human being, no matter where he lives, which time, which era, it doesn't matter. Which one is simpler? The lunar. You know why? Because No matter where a person is, whether he is in the deserts of Arabia, or he is in Iceland, or he is in North America, or Europe, whether he is living in the 21st century, or he lived in the 10th century, or he's going to live in the 30th century, it doesn't matter. The moon is a means of telling time for all people, literate or illiterate. Because when a person looks up at the sky and he sees full moon, what does that mean? Middle of the month. When a person looks up at the sky and he sees the crescent, what does that mean? New month. So any person, any person can figure out on his own, he can use, he can benefit from what? The lunar calendar. But when it comes to the solar calendar, tell me, how many times has it happened that you look at the sun and you're like, okay, it's this month you probably don't even know how the solar calendar works. Right? Do you have any idea how it works? You don't know. Why? Because it's kind of complicated. You really have to observe it every single day. And if you lose track, then you're lost. But the moon, what happens? Every month the cycle begins. Every month the cycle begins. Every day it is different. So you can tell. And our deen is not just for people who are advanced technologically. It is not just for people who are literate. It is not just for people who are living in this century. But it is for all people across different eras, across different cultures, across different times. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the moon the way He has made it. And He has told us to follow that when it comes to the calendar. So, قُلْ هِيَ مُوَاقِيتُ wal hajj. And in Surah Yunus, Ayah 5, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That Allah is the one who has made the sun a shining light, and the moon a light as well, a derived light. Wa and for the moon, Allah has determined for it phases, adada That you may know the number of years, as well as the account of time. So, This is how the moon works. This is the wisdom behind how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the moon. And if you look at it from many ahkam of the teen, from many, many laws of our religion, for many rulings, we have to look at the moon. We have to look at the lunar calendar. If you think about it, the lunar calendar, we need to use it to determine when the month of Ramadan begins, when it ends, right? So the month of Ramadan, Eid, is based on that. Likewise, the lunar calendar is used for hajj. You can't just go to hajj any time of the year. You have to go at a particular time. You have to wear the ihram on a particular date. Likewise, we see that, for example, a child, right? The maximum period until a child can be nursed, can be breastfed by the mother, is two years. And this two years is not according to the solar calendar, but rather according to the lunar calendar. Alright? So, how do you determine that? If the mother is nursing the child, and she has no idea about which lunar month he was born in, and when he's turning two, then she might be crossing the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set. So in other words, she might be disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, we see that for many crimes, the punishment is, or the recompenses that a person has to fast. Right? He has to fast for let's say, one month or three months or whatever. So those months are also determined by what? By the lunar calendar. Likewise, idda, The waiting period of who? Of a widow is what? Four months and ten days. And that is also determined by the lunar calendar. So the lunar calendar is very important to who? To the Muslims. Because their ibadah, their worship is based on that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says over here Linas For all people What does it show then? That it's not just of relevance to Muslims But also non-Muslims Even they benefit from the lunar calendar And we see that people used it For a very long time Until eventually all people moved to the Gregorian calendar Right, And then it is followed everywhere. Because now we know that the world is more like a global village. Everyone is connected to each other. So if people are following different calendars, then it affects them. But even then, people can use the lunar calendar even for their worldly affairs. Not just their religious affairs, but even their worldly affairs. Now just imagine there is a farmer. Okay, He has to sow his seeds, he has to harvest, or he has to do a particular thing on his fields. And he's not literate. He's not literate. And he cannot figure out which month it is or which year it is or which date. It is by looking at the calendars, no matter how many are available to him. What is the most simple thing to do for him? Look up at the moon. The crescent, okay, the new month has begun. Now you may sow the seeds. Now the month has come to an end. Now you may do such and such. So, People can use the lunar calendar for what? For religious matters as well as worldly matters. But more specifically, Wal Hajj, and also Hajj, meaning the months of Hajj are determined by by the moon. And I say months of hajj, although hajj is to be performed in only a few days, because there is a particular season of hajj. Do you know what the months of hajj are? There are three months of hajj. It begins from shawwal all the way to dhu'l-hijjah. Shawwal, dhu'l-qa'dah, and dhu'l-hijjah. These three months are known as the season of hajj. Why? Because this is the time when people prepare to go for hajj. And before, people wouldn't just take, you know, a flight from wherever they're living all the way to Medina, and then that's it. No, they would have to travel weeks in advance. So when would they leave? When would they set off? In Shawwal, right after the month of Ramadan. So Walhaj, wa al birru, and it is not piety bi anta tulbuyuta that you all come to your houses min zuhooriha from their backs. Piety, righteousness is not that you enter your houses, enter the homes from where, from the back door. tu from the root letters hamzataya. And al-bu'yut is a plural of bait from the root letters bayata. And min zuhuriha zuhur is a plural of zahf and zahar is the back of something. And the back of the house, the back door. Okay. So piety is not that you enter your houses from the back door. What does it mean? This part of the ayah is basically negating a practice that was common amongst the Arabs. The pre-Islamic Arabs, meaning the Arabs of Jahiliyyah. And this is something that they had invented in the religion, and they thought that practicing this was extremely pious, extremely righteous. Now what is it that they would do? When the time for Hajj came, because we're talking about Hajj, and the following ayat will also talk about Hajj. Okay, And previously we learned about Siyam. Now Hajj. So the Arabs, what they would do is, that when they would put on their ihram, And you know about hajj. Even if you haven't gone for hajj, are you familiar with how hajj is? That you have to wear the ihram, right? And when you are in the state of ihram, there are certain things that you cannot do. What are those things that you can't do? Hmm? You cannot cut your hair, cut your nails, right? And there's other things as well that you cannot do until your hajj is over. Alright? And Hajj is to be performed in the months of Hajj, not just any time of the year. And it has to be performed at certain places. Not that you pretend that there's a Kaaba in North America and you go there and you say, okay, let me go on, you know, these mountains and run there. You know, people are doing Sari on Safa Marwa, I'll do my Sari over here. (laughs) You can't do that. It has to be a certain time and it has to be at certain places. So anyway, the Mushrikeen, what they would do is, when they would put on the ihram for Hajj, Okay, then they would think that we are very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now. Because we are in the state for the worship of Allah. And nothing at all should come between us and Allah. Nothing should come between us and Allah. So, this is why they would say, don't put anything on your head. Yes, the men are not allowed to cover their heads when it comes to ihram. But the mushrikeen would say, don't wear anything on your head and don't even pass from under anything. Because nothing, not even a door frame can come between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they thought that this was being very righteous. This was being very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That not even a door frame, nothing at all should be above your head. And they thought that if they pass from under anything, their ihram would be nullified. So let's say a person, he left for hajj, he's wearing his ihram and he's traveling, and he needs to go into a building, into a house, whether it is his own house, or it is a rest house, or whatever it is, he had to go inside, whether it is to rest, or to eat, or to get something, then he wouldn't go from the door of the house. Why? Because if he's going from the door of the house, then there's something coming between him and his Lord. But they had to go inside somehow. So they said, okay, we'll go from the back of the house. Because they didn't have doors or walls like we have in our houses. So they would go from the back side of the house thinking that they would jump over the back wall or whatever. And then they would do whatever they had to do and then they would go. Even now you will see. But if you're ever traveling from Makkah to Medina or such, and you stop in order to use the washrooms or something, you will see that they have these small places around which they have these small walls. okay? Very small walls. And you can literally jump over them to go inside. And you can lie down over there, you can eat there, you can rest there. Okay, so likewise their houses were such that you could either jump over those tiny walls or you could go from the main door of the house. So what would they do? In their iham, they're jumping over the walls. And they thought this was being very righteous. Nothing is between us and our Lord. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَيْسَ الْبِرُّ بِأَن تَأْتُ الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ This is not piety. This is not Righteousness. Righteousness is not in imposing difficulty on yourselves. Righteousness is not in inventing things in the religion and holding on to them thinking that you're being very pious. No no, this is not piety. وَلَكِنَّ الْبِغْرِ but the piety, true piety, true virtue is of who? It is of the person who? is of the one who fears Allah. Hajj should teach us taqwa. Just as Ramadan, fasting teaches us taqwa, hajj also teaches us taqwa. How? That when a person is fasting, when he wants to eat, drink, he's reminded, no, Allah is watching me, I can't do that right now. Likewise, when a person is in the state of ihram, he wants to fight, he wants to argue, he wants to cut his nails, no, Allah is watching me, I can't do that right now. And a person might think, cutting nails? Like, what does that have to do with piety, with righteousness, I mean with worship? Because it's a very small thing, but it's a very personal thing. And we're supposed to start fearing Allah in our personal affairs. So anyway, وَلَكِنَّ البر مَنِ التقى. True piety is of the one who fears Allah. And it doesn't make sense that a person is fighting with people, harming others, in ihram, in hajj. But when it comes to entering a building, a house, He says, no, no, I'm not going to go through the door, I'm going to go from the back door. It doesn't make any sense. True piety is of the one who fears Allah. This is why Allah says, وَأْتُوا الْبُيُوتَ And come to the houses, meaning enter them from where? مِنْ أَبُوَابِهَا أَبُوَاب is the plural of bab, door. Enter the houses from their actual doors. This is the right way. Why وَأْتُوا الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ أَبُوَابِهَا? Because that is much easier. It makes more sense. It is more logical. And this is something that Allah has allowed for people. This difficulty has not been imposed by Allah on people that they should not go under anything. No. سَوَأْتُوا in Abu So what does it show? That true piety is in what? is in holding on to living by what Allah has ordained. Not in inventing things in religion, making the religion difficult for ourselves. Wat Abu Abiha. Now this statement Wa'tulbuyuta min from this the Arabs also derived an expression that they would use. When a person did something in the right way, as it should have been done, they would say, Atalbaitam Babih. He Entered the house from its door. Meaning he did something the way it should have been done. There's two ways of doing something. The proper way, the right way, the easy way, or the wrong way. The more complicated, the more difficult way. For example, you want to get into the car so that you can drive. One is that you enter the car from which door? The driver's side. Right? You can get to the driver's seat from the driver's side of the door. Correct? Is that the right way of getting there? Yes, it is. But if a person says, No, I'm going to enter the car from the trunk. Okay? I'm going to open the trunk, I'm going to go in, I'm going to push down the back seats and I'm going to crawl into the car and then I'm going to get to the front and jump into the driver's side. Okay, he got to the seat, but which way did he adopt? The wrong way. Because when he's doing that, he looks like a fool, right? He's imposing hardship on himself. And he's complicating the matter for himself. So something that could have been done so quickly, so easily, is being done with so much hardship, so much difficulty, and all the while, a person is making a fool of himself. At the end, what does he get? Exhaustion, fatigue, right? And eventually he'll be like, you know what, forget it. I don't want to drive. Forget it. I'm not going to enter the car. You know, like some people, what they do is that they make things so difficult on themselves. If I have to clean the floor, then that means I have to do all the dishes first. And that means I have to clean the sink first. And I have to clean all the counters first. And I have to put the food away. I have to do this. I have to do that. A whole list. And then I'm going to get to the floor. And there's garbage sitting right there. All you could do is just take a dustpan quickly and pick that up and throw it in the garbage. And you're like, since I can't do the dishes and since I'm not going to do that, since I'm tired, and the garbage is sitting over there You're making life so difficult for yourself. Who said all of these rules exist? They don't exist. We think that if we make things difficult and more complicated, then we're so intellectual, we're so careful, we are so learned in the matters of religion. And if we do things the simple way, like everybody else does it, then you know we're just ordinary people. Nothing makes us special. You know, for example, when it comes to halal food, Okay, what's the right way of knowing that the food that you're eating is halal? You go to a restaurant, and you see a big sign, red sign that says, Ha, Lam, Alif, Lam, halal. Okay, a big red sign, halal. What does that mean? That the food is halal. You walk in, you're ordering the food, and you see a certificate at the back on the wall that says the food is certified halal in that restaurant, in that store, at that butcher shop. But if you say, tell me the aqidah of the person who is slaughtering the chicken, then what are you doing? Something that is completely unnecessary, something that is going to put you in hardship, something that is going to put other people in hardship, it's going to create confusion, it's going to create division amongst people, what are you doing? you're not doing things the right way. When it comes to the matters of religion, remember, there is no piety in imposing hardship on yourself, in making matters complicated for yourself or for other people. Our religion is simple. Our deen is yusr. And there is no piety in imposing hardship on yourself. Because in a hadith we learn that the Prophet said, يَسِّرُوا to Make things easy and don't make things difficult. When a person makes things difficult, then he becomes sick of religion. He like, I can't handle this anymore. I've had enough of this. That's what he says. Likewise, if you see a particular food product, you read the list of ingredients, it says, for example, for cheese or for any other product, it says some enzyme or something is mentioned, which you know is artificially created, is artificially made. Right? Or somebody has told you that it is artificially made. Then, you don't have to call the company and ask, but was it made in a facility where rennet is used? Was it made in a facility where such and such product is used? You don't have to do that. People are very careful over here. They are. Because of, you know, all these allergies that exist today. People are extremely careful these days. So you don't have to make things difficult for yourself. Allah says, وَأَتُ الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ أَبْوَابِهَا Do things the right way. Do things the proper way. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ and fear Allah لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ So that you may be successful. We have the wrong kind of taqwa. We think that if we complicate the matters for ourselves, that is taqwa. It's not taqwa. Taqwa is having fear of Allah and being conscious about what you're doing, being conscious in the way you are dealing with other people, being careful in what you're eating and what you're drinking. Taqwa includes that you trust people. Taqwa includes that you, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt because you are conscious of Allah. You are fearful of Allah. Taqwa does not mean becoming a dry and rude and a harsh person. No, this is not what taqwa is. Allah says, وَاتَّقُوا Fear Allah لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ So that you may be successful. Because without taqwa, a person cannot be successful. Now if you think about it, وَأْتُوا الْوِيُوتَ مِنْ abwabiha." This is mentioned in the context of hajj. And with regards to hajj, people have invented many difficulties. Many things. That only create hardship for them. I remember once I went for Hajj and I saw this lady. She was wearing her hijab and with it she was wearing a cap. Okay, and so basically there was a like something sticking out from her forehead, and on that she had put her hijab so that it was hanging down. I imagine she bumped into someone, which is very likely in Hajj. What would happen? Her hijab ruined the other person would get hurt as well. You're wearing a a hat, right? You're wearing a hat. And why are they doing that? Because they say, oh, in hajj, a woman cannot wear naqab, but we have to cover our face, so this is why we have put this thing, because the naqab, nothing should touch your face. So nothing should touch your face, this is why we are wearing this kind of hijab. Does it say anywhere in the sharia that nothing should touch the face of the woman? If that was the case, then please don't wipe your nose. And don't wipe off that sweat either. It's not the case. That's not the case. It's simple. That the woman does not wear the niqab. However, we see from a hadith that the wives of the Prophet وسلم they said that they would be traveling for hajj, for umrah. And the men, as they would come, you know, in front of them, they would ride by them, they would cover themselves up. That's a simple way. So when a man comes in front of you, you just take your shawl, your hijab, whatever you're wearing, and you slightly cover your face, and that's simple as it is. It doesn't mean you have to wear a complicated kind of hijab. That, Likewise, people say, oh, you can't cut your hair, so don't scratch your head. Because if you scratch your head, your hair might fall off. Who said that? La ilaha illallah. How can you even survive when you're itchy? Really? Likewise, they said, don't take a shower. Really? in that heat amongst all those people, in that humidity, don't take a shower. How can you focus on ibadah and how can other people focus on ibadah? These are all invented things that make matters difficult. And you know what people think? If they don't take a shower, if they don't scratch themselves, they're being very pious. That's not piety. And they will not shower, they will not scratch themselves even when they're itchy and because of that they're irritable and they will fight with other people, they will argue with other people. That's not piety. It defeats the purpose of hajj. So what Allah, fear Allah. La'allakum tuflihun. So what does this teach us? That success, success in any matter, whether it is in the matter of eating or hajj, anything is attained by what? By the taqwa of Allah. And what is taqwa of Allah? That you do what Allah has commanded you to do. And you stay away from what Allah has forbidden you. Not that you have made up things yourself and you say, oh, I should stay away from that or I should do that. No. Whoever invents matters in religion, then such things will be rejected from Him. Meaning, such deeds will not be accepted. Such effort will carry no weight. Let's listen to the recitation. You see, when a person knows that he's doing something wrong in his heart, then he tries to do other things to make up for it. He doesn't want to face reality. He's trying to ignore that reality. But it's still pinching in his heart, right? So this is why he ends up doing other things. For example, a parent knows that they're not really taking care of their child. Instead of spending time with the child, Instead of treating the child well, what do they do? They just go and buy gifts, one thing after the other. Because they're trying to compensate in another way. But is that fair? Can your gifts make up for the harsh treatment that the child is receiving from you? Never. Never ever. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be honest with ourselves. Be honest with yourself and do things the right way. وَأْتُوا الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ أَبْوَابِهَا